This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. I'm pretty excited about tonight's podcast uh, where I, I have three hunters safety instructors with me. Two from Miles City, and one Montana, and one from Pennsylvania. What's the town you live in, Christopher? Uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And we're going to talk about these three gentlemen, Christopher and Caleb and Jeff's approach to hunter safety. Um, I think this is an essential topic. We're going to maintain publicly accessible, non-pay hunting into the future. What these, what little Susie and Johnny are learning, I think plays a big, big role. Um, particularly, I mean, of course being safe, that's one thing, but also equally importantly, well, maybe not. Like that's gotta be the most important thing is not getting shot, but underneath that has got to be uh, treating land and landowners with respect. And I don't know the extent to which that's a part of the curriculum for you guys, but I want to explore that with you and see where you're at, at on that. If I was a hunter safety instructor, I'm quite sure that I'd be summarily dismissed quite quickly because I would, I would probably spend about five minutes on safety. Something along the lines of my the safety portion would be, don't shoot yourself, and then I'd spend the rest of the period, the time with these kids, telling them to harping uh, on about landowner respect, telling them not to lease out a bunch of land and lock everybody else out. Tell them not to grip and grin on social media because that leads to the privatization of wildlife and the privatization of hunting opportunity. Um, don't buy from shit companies that market take the money we give them for product products and use it to buy up land and then sell the land as exclusive hunting properties, and to not donate to nonprofits that do R three. So I don't think I'd last very long. And uh, but uh, uh, I I uh, am interested in what these three fine fellows have to say about their approach, what they think the risks and opportunities are in training the next generation of hunters. So with that, I wanted to start out by asking you guys. And I think we'll go Jeff, Caleb, Christopher. I want to know. I'm curious. Because it's a commitment of time and energy. And I'm sure there's some little shysters in these classes that you got to deal with. And there's a lot of preparation involved. So uh, I want to know what motivates you guys to, to take this on as a responsibility. Uh, you want me to go first? Yeah. All right. So I got into Hunter Ed because my kids were growing up. I had no more kids. Uh, they moved away. 
So I enjoy the mentoring, just like Chris, we talked before the thing. I try to mentor at least one hunter a year. Um, people, either adults or kids that don't have anybody to really guide them. My philosophy on hunter ed is everybody can do it safe, respectfully, the landowners respecting hunters, hunters respecting landowners, uh, but hunters need to show the landowners they're worthy of their respect because we have a few bad apples in our crowd. So we try to set the example. And I think, Matt, if you remember back when I first met you, I gave uh, Dustin some geese. And, this is uh, a story I'll never forget. Most of the time when people give away geese, they don't clean them. So when I gave them to Dustin, they were plucked and they were ready to eat when he got them. They were plucked and I gave them to Dustin and, and uh, Matt goes, wow, he says, that was respectful that you took care of those animals. Well, that's one of the big things with me is respecting the animals, the game, to take care of them. Don't gift your animals if they need a lot of work. You don't take a, a deer over to somebody that needs to be skinned, you know, help them cut it up, teach them how to use the resource. So that's that's kind of big on my ethos for hunter education. I tend to push that along with the safety, respect, and ethics involved. That was our that was the first time I ever laid eyes on you. I heard we have a mutual friend uh in town here. Um, but that was the first time I laid eyes on you was was that day. And I was, I mean, you like I was immensely impressed by that. We that day we had been out bunny hunting all day. We had shot a bunch of domestic bunnies at the neighbor's place. They had a four-inch project that went awry. <laughs> And we also had some shots of cotton, cottontails. And we just got done processing all those bunnies when you called. I was like, oh, man, it would be nice to have a few geese. I'll go over and help you get them and help you clean them. And we go over and get these things. They're plucked as smooth as a baby's bottom. Um, yeah, and which is no mean feat. I don't know how you do it, but. Takes about 10 minutes. I got strong hands. I, I'm a goose plucker from way back. <laughs> <laughs> they taste so much better if you pluck all. Oh, so, oh, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And that's probably another important thing for. Oh, I'm going to put that on the list as well. About what you guys do about that. Like, what, how do you, 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 you spend time with them on that and the importance of respecting the harvest? That's one of my favorite parts, actually. And I know it is yours, too. Yeah, I use a volunteer for that. Oh, so there's a yeah. It, it, we have blocks set up in the training of, you know, we volunteer to which which topic we want to cover the most. Okay, so that's one of that's one of my favorite topics. So usually when I jump in on a class, that's that's what I want. Okay, that's what I do. And I mean, and more broadly than just them, like I think of you, Jeff, as somebody that is just very curious about different kinds of meat different kinds of preparation um like you raise you raise you hogs you raise right and yeah hogs and sheep yeah goats um cook raccoons you name it yeah walks and crawls i'll throw the pot <laughs> you'll, you'll forever be famous in my house oh yeah as, as the guy who was our source of horse meat oh really <laughs> i have always wanted to try horse the first, it, it was fantastic. The first one I butchered, 
I gave away probably 200 pounds of beef. People like you, they go, hey, here you got a horse. I said, yeah. Can I get a steak? I said, yeah, no problem. So, yeah, a lot of people are curious about it. Great eating meat. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, it's perfectly legal in Montana to butcher horses. Uh, but, yeah, it, it was decent protein. The other thing, Caleb, I got a bunch of beaver tails from Caleb for knife sheaths. And uh, so I peeled all these beaver tails. Got you the, can take the skin and make a knife sheath. Oh, that's leather you can get. So I, 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 not know that. I peeled all these tails and I'm going, hell, that doesn't look too bad. <laughs> so I cured all the beaver tails like you would ham. Yeah, you <laughs> gave me some one time. <laughs> and I made beaver tail and bean soup. Yes. That's right. That's so, right. Ways not want that. Yeah. Um, and you also you have you still have guinea hens? <laughs> not anymore. I did have those were more pets, right? No, they got eaten too, but you ended up with two goats of mine. Yeah. 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 They got they got eaten. They did. Yeah. They they those. Yes, I did. They <laughs> they no, I got one from you. I got one from you and I got one from Dan Fox. Ah. And I don't know why I thought I maybe it was, oh here's what it was. I was thinking about maybe packing with them. Yeah. Those shysters, they just were like you told me, you warned me about this. <laughs> if you have one goat, it's one thing, but if yeah. you have two, they egg each other on. Two's company, three's like gang members moving in your neighborhood. <laughs> That's the way it goes up. <laughs> No, they went from being the one when I had one, he was a total gentleman. And then when I got here, two of them were from home and they were standing on the hood of my truck. You need my cherry tree. You know. All right, yeah, well, yeah, tell, tell us a little bit about what motivated you to do. You're a busy man. You had you had two small young kids, uh, three kids. Oh, that's oh, right, and you're, and then you teach, and then you coach soccer on top of that, and you also are taking on the, uh, this endeavor of training the next generation of hunters. So, what motivation? Do you have? Yeah, for me, it's kind of it's for me, it's the same as the soccer. So, um, you know, growing up, you you get to partake in these activities, but you don't put a lot of thought into how they're even available to you, you know, and you, you, take you just tell you take it all so much for granted. And, um, but then, you know, eventually you transition in life to where you're no longer the one benefiting from it. And, and you, you know, you have kids coming along or you see other people's kids or, you know, you, you move somewhere different and you kind of see an opportunity to, to help, you know, provide some of what you had. And for me, it was, you know, the soccer motivation is a few coaches, you know, Tim Fuller and and uh, you know, some others that were in, instrumental, you know, to the value that I got as a, as a youth um, that makes me want to pass it on for Hunter Edit is very much the same. Um, I had kind of a non-traditional uh, oh, pathway into hunting. So, you know, my dad didn't grow up hunting. I asked him once if he ever hunted with my grandpa and he said he could remember or, or if his, if, if my grandpa, his dad ever hunted. And he said he remembered as a kid, him going on a few rabbit hunts 
was kind of all he remembered. And it wasn't something that they did, you know, as a family or definitely wasn't their source of gathering protein to feed the family. And, um, but I had an uncle who came to a family dinner and brought a Shakespeare recurve bow. And How old were you at this point? I, I would have been probably 14, 15. And uh, we were going to drop a tree that was in the middle of a huge yard. There was like no reason to have to put a line on it and try to guide it any which way. You cut it down and fall in any direction. I don't, anything. I don't know why he brought it, but. So we didn't end up using it for that, but we ended up, he, he let my brother and I shoot it. You know, we took a paper plate, put it on the hill, and, you know, a few shots in, I was hooked. You know, so then eBay was young, and I found the exact same model from somebody, you know, and a few weeks later, I had it in my possession and started shooting a bow, and then my brother got one, and we were shooting these bows, and we're kind of learning this stuff um, from a old uh, Fred Bear Arthur's Bible uh, book that we got from the library, I think. And through that, we start seeing, oh, like you can hunt with these. Yeah. That sounds pretty cool, you know? So we start to get interested no in that. Poking holes in paper yeah, yeah. So uh, I think it was probably my uh, dad that found a hunter safety course was available kind of in the town uh, between where I lived and where this, uh, one of my other uncles lived. And that other uncle was a farmer with. This you know, is back in central Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. Western, west of Indianapolis, kind of out in corn and soybean farming country. Great, great deer country, squirrel, good squirrel hunting. And so anyway, we, um, we end up signing up for this hunter safety course in, in Amo, Indiana, and it's at a rod and gun, rod and gun club there. And it was the coolest thing like I had ever seen at that point in my life. You know, so we show up and it felt like there were a dozen instructors. I don't know if there were really that many, but everybody seemed to have kind of their niche and like their thing that they were kind of into. You know, one guy in the middle of breaks is like napping flint to make his own knife blades and arrowheads type of thing. And there, you know, was somebody who, you know, was a great waterfowl hunter and, and then a guy that was very knowledgeable about upland game bird hunting and, and, you know, a guy that was sort of like a tree stand archer and, and on and on. It was just, like all this exposure to these life skills that I hadn't previously kind of really had much exposure to. And I I'm just, my brother and I just kind of like drank it up and we did have somebody, we, we did fish and we grew up fishing. Um, you know, I, there were times where we would come back from a fishing trip and at, at some point, you know, you just kind of do what you do. And then at some point you start thinking about it on your own. And I, I remember when I first started thinking about is is there a number of fish you can take out of a pond like this before you do biological? <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was the question that found our No, it was, was like yeah. 40. Yeah, it wasn't a, it was uh it was like never a topic of conversation. I'm 
I'm pretty sure my dad and his fishing buddies probably were following regulations, but it's just like not something that they talked about. You know? And and so anyway, he, my dad had these fishing buddies who then kind of like, as my brother and I are starting to try to hunt with these reekers, my, my dad is great. So he's supportive and getting in on it too. And we're all trying to kind of learn that together. And then one of his good fishing buddies gets a pretty good knack for it and wants to be trying. And he actually may have had more of a hunting background. And then he had another fishing buddy that definitely did. He like grew up, knew the stuff. And so these were great mentors and learned a lot from them as well. But but that kind of, I always carried that with me, that understanding that that hunter education class and what those instructors, those dedicated, passionate instructors they didn't just show up and read a textbook to you, you know, uh, that was like the national standard. Here's your rules to not get shot. You know, they they like breathed the life into the material that they were teaching in a way that like took hold and has never let go. And so then, you know, fast forward, I end up here for my first, um, you know, adult biologist job out of grad school and and I don't know anybody so you're looking for things to do and I see that they're teaching a class on the weekend and, and so my wife and I sign up to take the class and it was, oh you had you had to take one I didn't have to take it I was just like bored and looking for things to do and thought you know I'll see how you know it was a new state to me yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Midwest, yeah. it was like, wow, this might be vastly different because there's so much, so many different opportunities here in Montana. Sure. Um, um, so you, you do have to, you, you have to be old before you, you uh, are kind of opt out, yeah. right? Yeah, I think you have to like five years old or something like that. He'd yeah, say that's a different, different age. Right, in Montana. Yeah, 80, like, 80, 85. Think, uh, Georgia 77. It's somewhere I was born in 84, and I I know in Indiana, oh, it's, I was it, old enough to have had to. It doesn't change in time. Okay. I think it's 1985. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't remember. I just recommend for everybody to do it. It doesn't hurt. But, uh, but yeah, so I took it. I took it mostly because um, I knew I would get something out of it. You know, you know, I, I knew I had I had time. To kill not knowing anybody and being in a new place and i and i knew i'd learned things so i i retook it and it was uh jim arneson and jeff teaching the class and and i kind of immediately saw that it's like oh i want to be part of this these guys are just like those guys that taught me you know when i was 16 15 16 my first class i want to be part of passing this on in my community that i'm a part of now and that's still why I do it, you know, even even though other stuff comes up and it would be nice sometimes to uh, carve back the time into yeah. your life. But it's it's one of those things that I sort of look at as like a non-negotiable. This is going to be part of what I do because I'm still as passionate about it as I was when I started. And, and you know, as, as of my kids age, I'm finally, uh, my kids are finally old enough that my oldest daughter Lila took it uh, last year, and my son Bridger took it this year, and, and so it's yeah, it's just it's, it's fun. And it's you've been doing part of it twelve years now mm -hmm. since two thousand ten. Yeah. Christopher, 
There's you so many points. What's that? You do it to find chicks. Am I not coming through clear? I think you just I just broke up for a second. You repeat. You're ruining my joke. You're ruining the timing. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I said I said you do it to find chips. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. The uh yeah, no, yeah, there's so many points that I can relate to uh from what was just said. You know, mine, you know, the uh you know, there definitely is a, a coaching aspect to it. You know, I, I played lacrosse in college. Um, and, and then got into coaching for so many years and, you know, as a starting a family kind of, um, you know, kind of taking a break from that right now, but, um, you know, relating directly to it, um, you know, my initial, you know, inspiration to, you know, and, and then climbing to do it is, um, you know, when I took the course and, uh, you know, each state's different, it changes from year to year, it changes from decade to decade. Uh, you know, Pennsylvania now you can take it as soon as 11. Um, I took mine at 15. Um, you know, I was fine. Same, I didn't really rush. Is it the What's same that? as in Montana where you, what, like, at what point is there a point in age at which you don't have to have it? Age in, um, I know that people have, that we've had more adults coming back, especially, you know, guys who are going out west for a hunt uh, because now, they have the uh, digital system where you can get, you know, a, a more official looking card and so forth. We still what would happen is you'd have the orange one signed um, and that's still a thing. But now you get mailed the official one that's universal to all the continental U.S. Um, so oh, I, didn't they, I didn't know they had like a card that transcended state boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what, I, what I'm getting at is. Is it compulsory for adults to take it? Do they have to take it? Is it mandatory? Yeah. No. Oh, oh. Did, before your first hunting license, yes. Okay. Regardless of age. Yeah, that's my understanding. Yes. Um, okay. You know, I have. I've been. I I took a family friend of ours who's in his early forties. I took him out on two archery hunts last year. Actually, two years ago, rather. And last year was just busy, but um. And yeah, he's in the process. We've been trying to arrange for him to take his class. Um, so yeah. Oh, you can if he's if he's got somebody with him, he doesn't have to have the class. Yeah, he he had the mentor tag, so he had to be within arm's reach of me at all times. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So and he was he was glad to do it. Um, and, and that's even you know the youth system is a lot different now in PA than even, I mean, I'm 27 and it's completely different with, from when I was seven to 10 years old, you know, there's a lot more opportunity with younger kids and, you know, maybe even opportunity for rules to be broken as well. Um, you know, you can, you'd be seven years old and if your dad takes you out, um, you know, if, if he, if you're the one pulling the trigger, um, and, and your dad's not, you know, you're allowed for hunter safety. Um, so that's an initiative they've took, with that, um, so and then they have the junior combo. Once you've uh, completed the hunter safety course, and that goes up to seventeen. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I took the course when I was fifteen, and I, I see I saw a lot of value in that. You know, the the place where I mostly do the courses at is where I took the course. Um, and you know, similar point is it seemed you know everybody had their own section, and it seemed like everybody enjoyed their own section. You know, our our tree stand guy who talks about tree stand safety. 
Uh, you know, he had a severe fall at one point um, and stuff like that. So, and, you know, everybody's kind of into their area. Um, I usually do the archery section because I take it pretty seriously because I think an underrated aspect with that is, I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong if you don't know what you're talking about, especially working with a compound. Um, and I just, it's something that motivates me that maybe I can save an accident. Um, and then there's the aspect too. You mean you like know, getting hit, injured with the with the bow? Absolutely. Oh my god! Oh, goodness. I've never gotten hurt by a compound other than whacking the string on my forearm. Some some people lack common sense, um, to say the least, or, or <laughs> you know ways ways to prevent a string snap and and you know, just basic safety. Um, I, you'd be surprised at some of the looks I get with some of the things I say. The Love basic safety things. And they look at me like I'm crazy. And um, yeah, yeah. But and, and you know what's really cool too is um and maybe this is a positive product of of hunting media, I don't know, is you know, the kids are just fascinated, absolutely fascinated by a fully loaded compound bow, uh, which I always bring with me and then you know show them and you know to them that's really neat, especially when you know the things like as big as them sometimes, you know. So you mean like when it's all tricked out with the stabilizer and fight? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All that my stuff. wife, the first date we ever went had, she went with me in the mountain and she was like that because she'd never seen like a modern compound <laughs> bow. Yeah, my wife was fascinated when she first saw yeah. one. Well, she was always so intrigued by it. Um, she was. It looks know, like a Rube Goldberg contraption. You know, it's like it's so. It's just so complicated looking. It is. It is. Yeah, I, I find it, you know, it's crazy how, you know, I mean, if you think of the at how patents have evolved from the beginning of the compound in the early 70s, um, I think Alan has the patent on that uh, to what it is now. And just, you know, how the technologies evolved, yet it's still the distance has only increased how much. Um, which is fascinating to me versus a firearm from the 1850s versus, you know, today. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's pretty interesting. The amount of technology with in some ways, not a ton of advancements, um, but you know, it's just a thought. I don't know. Really? Like, uh, I don't know many people that would shoot, Made traditional archers that would shoot at a deer with a, a longbow more than 30 yards. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. But a lot of these, some of the compound guys, you know, there's a big difference between, you know, you know, I get annoyed, especially too. And this is, you know, kind of, I, I don't think I mentioned in the email, but, you know, the reason that I get peaked by the whole hunt quietly thought process is. You know, I can hit a target at 100 yards, you know, I, I and I'm a nobody. It's like and I've got campaigns out there hitting at 100 yards. Like what? if you're shooting at a live animal like that, I mean, are you insane? You know, it's, it's not like it's, it's getting there faster or something. You know, there's so many things that can go wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just. Yeah. There's you know, so many there's so many ethical considerations with it. It's like. The wounding potential goes through the roof. And then, additionally, with technology in general, if you extend it out to a point of absurdity, you might as well be playing a hunting video game. Mm -hmm. I mean, where between 
where we are now and the ability to sit on your couch and push a button when a deer shows up under your game cam and you have a rifle hooked up to it. Where's the line? You know? And I that's think a, that all the time. <laughs> so it's, yeah. So like I I more and more think that we've if we're operating at the high end of the technology spectrum, that we have already crossed the line more and more. I'm not trying to like advocate for going back to wearing buckskins and everybody has to shoot a longbow, but I err on the side of thinking we've got enough technology. Like I'm more and more uncomfortable with game cameras. Yeah, I mean, my favorite hunting spot is, you know, probably two miles from my house, and I haven't hunted it in two or three years because I'm disgusted with how the hunting is now. And I'm not saying in the sense of, oh, there's no deer there anymore, because it's it, it, it's it's a pinch point where the deer are there. Um, but, you know, it, it's become overcrowded. It is at the point where I have a dude who's 25 yards away. It, it reached a point where there was a guy who's 25 yards away from me. And he had no idea I was even there. I mean, luckily, I'm semi-competent and knew he was there the whole time and then removed myself. Um, you know, like, that's an, ex you know, that's not hunting to me, you know, where I've got a guy just sitting there pulling up a chair and, and probably has a game camera, which in that spot, you're not even allowed to have game cameras there, but they still do it. Um, this is a private nature conservancy organization in my area. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I. I I feel like things like that have ruined it for me. I, I'll still maintain that's my favorite hunting spot. Just, I mean, it's it's a nature preserve that borders my grandparents' uh, home, uh, so it's you know it stinks. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, all right, that was a bit of a digression, but um, back to the conversation. Uh, uh, I guess I want to talk a little bit about. I'm going to have to do this in the table when we get over. Well, I'm sure our, our program in Montana is almost identical with the Teach of Pennsylvania. It's the International Hunter Education Association. Oh, okay. It's, okay. No, it's, because, because all the states are intertwined through a cooperative agreement that accept each other's hunter education cards. They expect the curriculum to be closely matched. Is that like a, that, and that's a collaboration of yeah. all the states? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just, it's just like if you get, get a DUI in Montana, you lose your license in Florida. All the states cooperate on these type of things. So if you lose your hunting privileges in Montana, you lose them in Pennsylvania. It's a cooperative effort. Everybody's trained basically the same. The Montana booklet has a few Montana tweaks to it. But for the most part, it's the same thing that Chris is teaching in Pennsylvania that we teach in Montana. Okay, so it, what are these components? Well, it's hunter education, basically gun safety, the basic firearm safety rules or the bow hunter education safety rules, which are almost identical to the firearm safety rules. 
um, in and out of vehicles safely, landowner cooperation, respect for the animals, uh, conservation, uh, carrying capacity of the land, uh, where the funding comes from for hunter education, for uh, for game and fish organizations, where their funding comes from, which varies from state, state to state. Uh, Montana, no tax dollars go to FWP. It's solely funded through hunting licenses, Pittman-Robinson money, uh, other federal funds. Uh, what else we cover? Uh, game, care game. Uh, yeah, safety stuff for uh, hunting like plans, survival, survival tactics, tips, uh, first aid tactics, uh, some first aid. Uh, yeah, I was looking back through the book, kind of anticipating this might be a question and sort of, and also, you know, as we, as we had previously discussed, kind of um, thinking of where it is in the curriculum, we address things like landowner relations and, you know, a lot of it from the curriculum is, is pretty heavy on uh, teaching you the different parts of a firearm, safe gun handling, uh, firearm safety, some of that hunting related safety like the survival uh how to how to handle and process you know game animals but you know there is a chapter on ethics and then there are spots sort of woven through where when we teach the class we actually emphasize things like landowner relations a lot heavier than what if you were just following the text directly and, and that comes from you know the experience of the different instructors and how important they realized that all this doesn't really matter if you if you don't have a place to go. Right? So, so don't don't drive on muddy roads. Okay. No, close gates or open gates. Leave gates like you find them. Pick up your trash. Don't necessarily get your animal in the fields. Well, talk to the landowner. See what okay. he wants. He may not want a gut pile or a bone pile in his alfalfa field. He may want you to yeah, get yeah, off the yeah. side. You know, yeah, you know. yeah, so yeah. cooperate with your landowner and see what what they want, what their rules are, because we try to emphasize to the student that, yeah, hunting is a privilege. The game is owned by the state. We own, the people own the game, but the access is owned by the private partner. You know, our private partners are landowners. So we have to respect their individual rules for their property. We can't demand that they let us shoot within you know, 20 yards of their house. The landowner may say, hey, you can hunt my place, but you can't hunt this section. This is my family section. So you can hunt everywhere else. Well, don't get mad at the landowner for closing off that section. Oh my God. Because you don't want people shooting at his house. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, so we explain this, that it is a privilege to be able to hunt. It is also a privilege for landowners to allow you to hunt their place. So you need to respect their particular rules, which may not be covered in any statutes or anything else, but it's their game. As long as they're not, as long as they're not asking you to break the law, which we usually use a trick thing or we have we have in the past. Yeah, you can hunt my place, but you have to shoot every owl you see. So who's got a vendetta? Well, I mean, well, we use that. Yeah, we use that as an example. And so what you do. 
And some of the kids say, well, I don't know, I shoot out of the house. I said, no, you don't shoot the house. <laughs> tell the guy. Yeah. All the time. Right. Yeah, shoot eight of them. Yeah. So you tell them, I don't know, yeah, I'll kill every owl. You're a bad shot. You don't shoot any owls. Right. Owls are protected. Play the game with, you know, within reason. And he may be testing you. He may, I want you to shoot owls. Well, I'm not shooting owls. They're protected. So you got to know, you got to know the land. Yeah. Uh, lay the land. Yeah. And and the landowner. So most landowners get fed up with a lot of hunters. Uh, but the vast majority of them are still receptive to respectful interaction with hunters. Because in Montana, most landowners are hunters. And they appreciate what, what hunters do, you know, to keep the the animal numbers down. They don't want to be feeding all the elk and deer and stuff on their property. They, they're raising cattle or whatever. Uh, but they usually tell, you know, what kind of person you are. You show up, jacked up four-wheel drive, big old mudslinging tires and stuff. They say, oh, yeah, I'll respect all your rules. They're not going to let you hunt. You know, they know what you're going to do as soon as you get. Or a train, you know, the train show up with a trailer and a side-by-side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's common sense. It's just. Who do you want in your house? Who do right. you want on your land? Right. You know, all you got to do is own a piece of property that somebody wants to get on, and it it tells you what people are really made of. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I've, I've been a landowner where I've controlled hunting, and there's a small percentage of the population I'd allow to hunt. Uh, now, tell me about this chapter of your life. I, I, well, I managed to... Uh, 900 acres on the Arkansas River in southeast Colorado. Oh, okay. You know, premier whitetail ground, and, and I would let very few people hunt. Okay. Uh, but if most people asked me, I'd let them hunt. Mm. I didn't care, as long as they were respectful enough to ask. Yeah. It's the people that I had to run out of the yeah, make yeah. Them angry. Yeah. You know, or I'd be working out the dogs because I was training dogs at that point in my life. Um, I'd go out to run some dogs, and here's people out fishing. <laughs> The hell, you know, he'd run them off. They had no reason to be there. How do you guys handle this? There's a really good instructional video that's a little dated, and it could be it could be updated, you know. But but it's uh, it was a game worn out of Idaho that um, basically shows you how to quarter out a cow elk, and really does a good job of going through. The basic skinning, gutting, quartering, and that's part, a big part of what we use. And then we kind of elaborate on it from there. Yeah, the big thing is, you know, we teach them. You know, there's a gutless way to to take care of game when you got to pack it out. The big thing is get skin off, get it cooled down. Um, you know, I I've got kids that live in Texas. They're not in Texas. They never gut their animals until they get them back to the shop. Oh, wow. You know, so it's totally different in every area of the country. But in Montana, like bow hunting especially, you got to get that hide off, get them cooled off, get them quartered out, get that meat cooled. And that's what we try to teach the kids. You know, respect the animal. Try to salvage as much meat as possible. Do whatever you can do to preserve that meat because that animal just gave you its life. You know, yeah. for your entertainment. You know, you need to take care of that animal to respect it and to make it as much usable meat as you can. You're not going to save all of it, but this is how you're going to do do it to save the most. So 
That wasn't a component at all when I was a kid. No, I, I see it's one of the things that I try to push on, on kids that you owe it. That is your responsibility. You've just taken that animal's life. You owe the circle of life, you know, to take care of that meat and make the most use of it. So, yeah. like I said, that's one of my, my big kicks. I hate to see people waste animals or, or kill animals. They don't have the ability to preserve. Yeah. You know, you shoot an elk in 90 degree temperature, you better have a game plan before that thing hits the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't make that game plan after you find the animal. You've got to have that in advance. You're got, your clock is running, so you've got to get the the procedure in place to save that meat. So, you know, it's a big thing for me. So, Christopher, anything you want to add on um, the field care component? Yeah, field care is a big one in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, really all these points are universal. Um, you know, the only thing that, and I don't know if I'd say differ is the word to use, but, you know, in Pennsylvania, we really push the whole, and it's obvious, but for, I mean, for years, there was the, you know, 10% non-hunters, 80% is the, you know, neutral crowd, and then the other 10 uh, being hunters, and, and we really push that narrative a lot, um, and actually more so telling them that it's more of a 10% non-hunter, 85%. Um, the indifferent ones and only 5% that hunt, um, you know, that's the narrative that we really, really try to hammer. And, uh, the, we have a warden who opens each class, um, at where I do it. And, uh, you know, that's something that they reiterate as well. Um, so, you know, in Pennsylvania too, um, we to encourage them to like consider their influence on the, yeah. be courteous, to be smart, you know, think of yourself as an ambassador. Um, you know, that kind of language, um, you know, uh, especially talking to the kids, you know, telling them, you know, an instructor might say, you know, when you go into school on the Tuesday after opening, opening day, you know, don't say, oh, I slaughtered that thing. So, you know, I harvested this animal, you know, or, or I shot the animal, you know, I don't talk about it like it was, you know, crazy, you know. So, you know, little things like that. You know, Pennsylvania, I'll admit, you know, the whole survival component is is definitely less present because, you know. Yeah, but you, you guys, you know, Pennsylvania is one of those states that's got such a strong hunting heritage. You yeah, guys, the heritage for, for the East Coast, I mean, in Montana, we, we don't respect the Pennsylvania people enough because you guys have a, a strong hunter ethic back there. A little different yeah. than what we do it. But you guys have a long hunting heritage in Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so much I take for granted. <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh, yeah, you move know, out here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> the um, Yeah, I mean, you know, the whole concept of a deer camp, I realize, is foreign in certain parts of the country um, and, and stuff like that. So, it, uh, and, you know, we're, it is, you know, I will say Pennsylvania is a, uh, especially for hunting and fishing as well is it's a unique state because it is extremely diverse. And, you know, we don't have Montana backcountry or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But there are very remote areas you can go to, and, you know, you're two hours away from downtown Pittsburgh, or you're at two and a half hours from downtown Philadelphia. And I, I think that's a really interesting thing to me um, in the sense of, you know, there's some civilization, but, you know, if you really, if you want to earn it, you know, you can go deep. 
Um, so, you know, but in Pennsylvania, not many people are doing that. So, what's the furthest you've ever walked in somewhere to hunt? About three. About three. Um, I haven't hit National Allegheny National. What's that? Three miles. Mm -hmm. I'd say That's three is as the crow flies, obviously, yeah. would be the deepest. They have a lot That's of four state, but I, I'm surprised to hear that you could get three miles in the road. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They have big tracks of state gameland. Yeah. 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 The state game land is, is great. You know, the state game lands are, are different. I mean, the state forests are your best bet at going deep, deep. Um, you know, really a lot of it sometimes you'll run into is, is, you know, you'll be remote, but you know, like one of my favorite hunting spots is, you know, you're at the top of the mountain at about 2,100 feet up to 2,300 feet, um, uh, where the only civilization is down a mile or two at like eight to 900 feet. Um, so, you know, that's, kind of your close one of your closest forms of like being out there for out here which you know is different different parts of the country but, oh man know. dude this sounds wonderful move over huh? i'm heading your way everyone's moving to pennsylvania i'm gonna i'm gonna hunt the state game what do you call it state what state what is it forest state forest land i'm gonna be a i'm gonna move out there with my backlogs I am jealous of the llamas. I must don't say. they don't they call them crowns lands back there? That's in Canada. No, that's freaking awesome. That's awesome. And I just think oh, so the thing, the difference here, the, the difference though, is out here everybody's boys go deep in the bag. Okay. Like, uh, you live in the state where two three miles that's something most people in the state really um yeah that's that's a really good point you know is is if you're willing to earn it here you know you're probably not going to run into anybody uh whereas where you're at you know there's you know especially the young you, you can't they're gonna you know you could run into somebody you know or you yeah, may you can't yeah no i i can i i get the frustration there um you know i i yeah definitely do they do they close schools in Pennsylvania for open? Oh days? yeah, oh yeah. See? My see, I they live in a very heritage. Yeah, yeah where I work is is one of those school districts. Yep, though, and the opening day is not even on the Monday after Thanksgiving anymore. It's now on the Saturday, um, and they still get that Monday off because of deer camp um, and so forth. On Sunday, right? We can only hunt on three Sundays. That Sunday is one of them. The last Sunday in archery is is another and um the sunday between which is bear season and small game is running that is also so <laughs> okay um uh, you know question. what kind of autonomy do you guys have like autonomy so i'll put it this way if the book that describes what you're supposed to teach is extremely detailed rigid rigid I couldn't really tell who was teaching your class. It would be very simple. So, but on the other hand, it's just loose guidelines. As long as all the answers are there for the test, we can ad lib as much as we want. Okay. We try to keep it on track because it's easy to get off track. 
especially with stories. Yeah. So we try to keep it on track. So each one of us is like what Caleb went through when he was 16. Those instructors made an impact on those kids. I see kids I've had that I've taught 20 years ago in Hunter Ed that will remember something we said during that class. To us, it means nothing because you're just, mm-hmm. you know, it's just automatic. The responses to certain situations or whatever you're teaching. But as instructors, we have to be mindful that the comments that we make during our training have to be close to the book, but there are, they have our own little personal twists, our own mm-hmm. personal uh, ethos or whatever attached to them that will set with those kids forever. Yeah. We don't even realize it. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. when we say yeah. you land on with respect, you look them in the eye and you shake their hands, you know, that's probably the biggest thing where you'll see those kids, they'll come in, you know, you get a kid to look down at the ground and shake their hand, say, no, look me in the eye and shake my hand. And that sticks with them oh, wow. for their whole life because they've never had anybody tell them. Yeah. We have so many kids. That's a whole other topic. You can get me off track. Kids that don't have any guidance in life of a mentor, especially a father figure, a man in their life that'll tell them how to act when interacting with other humans. It just doesn't happen. And what little we give them, it's amazing how it sticks with them. Yeah, I can see that because I still have 12 years old. And then next year. Yeah. So, yeah, it totally makes sense that some of that would stick with them. You know, it's like, if I think if I was doing it, like I, all the crazy shit I said at the beginning, of course, I wouldn't do. But one thing I think I would do, because I'm just fairly concerned about the future of access, I might even go further and say, you're hunting somebody's land. I don't care if it's through block management or you banged on the door. You know, you should really consider giving that person something to say thank you, like a pie or whatever. Oh, yeah. Something. I mean, it's... I never hunt anybody's place, even black management anymore. I give the guy a gift certificate to the yeah. restaurant. That, you know? mm-hmm. Because I just think it's that. That's the only... Yeah, that's one of the very few things we have going for us is gratitude. Yeah, That's yeah. one of the things that Dale Tribby, one of our instructors, is part of his... Uh, some of the standard stuff he teaches, you know, kind of putting his own, um, interjecting his own experience and wisdom into landowner relations is he talks about how for him, that's always been something that he does. You know, at the end of the season, whoever, you know, he had private permission to hunt on or block management, you know, he basically sends thank you cards to all those landowners. And he said, you wouldn't believe how many of them say you know Dale, you're the only one that does this mm. for me and you are always welcome on yeah, it says, yeah it just goes to show yeah that a little appreciation is is it's a powerful tool and he's got they have alternatives they want to help her they go that's one of the things that i guess as far as additional content or or a way to sort of um, present the content that's in the book. It's one of the things that I've tried more intentionally in recent years to focus on is we kind of talk about 
um, in that planning the haunt chapter. I think there's some covers. What's it called? Well, I mean, it's, it's like it's like planning plan plan the haunt. Okay. It's kind of it has survival stuff, and then it has gives you the details on sort of thinking ahead and leaving a plan with somebody who could come looking for you. Okay. Kind of deal, you know, yeah. where are you going to be, when you're going to be back, all, all that kind of stuff. And in that chapter, you know, it kind of covers some of the different public lands and the different hunting opportunities. And in years past, it wasn't, I didn't see a huge need for really teaching them the difference between, you know, the yellow squares that are, Bureau of Land Management and the blue squares that are state lands and, uh, you know, the block management, that's a, a different thing. But from my own personal experiences and like working in that office, having some office time in the fall where I hear hunters coming and getting permission slips from the block management gals, it's, it's something that has kind of crept in that, that I want to try to pass on to these kids is this understanding that block management, though it, it Though it is a program that the state agency, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, you know, has a part in, that's private land. You know, mm-hmm. that, that is, there is a private landowner there, and that is not the same and should not be viewed the same as your, you know, right to yeah, you have no right uses on public lands. You know, there's so often that I, you know, in recent years where I'll hear somebody trying to get their permissions and and they just it's like they're at a you know at a, you know buffet and making their order and they they want to be told where the good block management areas are and and they and they just treat it as such like a, taking it for granted and and, and what I see it and, and the kids too and, and these are you know, just for you listeners that aren't familiar with Montana and the listeners podcast, the block managers are program that uh, compensates landowners and gives them an inconvenience fee for allowing public land. It, it's an awesome program. It's a, yeah. it's, it, it is, but there's people that are entitled, like, well, yeah, like Caleb Sion, and they come in and they feel they're entitled to have access to all these lands. And when they're told, yeah so a great great examples like uh you know local example be like osmo farms right you know we've all been around long enough that we know what that was before it changed hands and then got opened up into block management you know very restricted access and then we've had a period of years here where it's just fantastic soaks up all kinds of hunter hunter pressure yeah, and and lots of game harvested. This is a local block management yeah. property that I hunted before it was block management. Yeah, thank so, you very much. Oh, now, I'm doing, now we're doing everything I I, I despise, which is giving out hunting information. <laughs> location. Now this is. But anyway, I'm joking. I'm joking. So anyway, a few years back, you know, I I go. Uh, it's just after the general big game season, but they had like a damage hunt going. So there were those extra doe tags and I was looking to try to get a white tail doe on a damage tag. And <clears throat> I show up to the area that's most common or one of the most common parking areas. And I get out and this area has some like farm equipment, salvage scrap, you know, area where 
stuff gets broken, they kind of stockpile it because they bon- like, bon- yeah, yeah. Yeah. I call it bon- yeah. I walk by and there is just toilet paper and excrement, and it's just and I and I you know you look at it and think what walking what, what universe are you in? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like, that probably pulls up more property. Seriously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People trapping in the middle of roads, alongside fences, and toilet paper. I have heard from landowners yeah. that have closed places up. Not so much pheasants or fences being closed or cattle being shot. It's people shitting on my road. It's, I can't drive down the place without toilet paper. Oh, what says? Okay, apparently they don't appreciate this more than we. Yeah, pardon me, can I crap in your front yard? Yeah. <laughs> so, Christopher, <laughs> do you guys, or do you guys uh, harp on uh, landowner relations to the extent we do here? I mean, yeah, landowner relations is a big one that we cover. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of the same talking points and so forth. Um, you know, and two, you know, in Pennsylvania, we have such a well-established, uh, you know, game lane system. So, oh. you know, there's that aspect as well, as well, where it's, you know, I think the game commission looks at it, it's like, we're providing you that opportunity, that privilege, you know, the least you can do is respect that. Um, and, you know, the game lands are, I mean, there's so many of them. And I mean, it, it's legitimate hunting opportunity. Um you know, because, you know, the Game Commission started here in 1895, you know, so, you know, there, there was a time when it was affordable to buy a giant tract of land, um, so. Can you clarify what a giant tract of land is in Pennsylvania? I'm just curious. <laughs> I've got um, a that I had on that's 15 miles across. Each direction. Is that big in Pennsylvania? That would be massive. <laughs> that would be massive. <laughs> I'm gonna tell that landowner he's got massive land. That'll that'll brighten his day. I had friends growing up with like you know in Michigan where I grew up, everybody went up north to the funding camp. Yeah, 80, 80 acres, 80 acres was huge. Yeah, ten. I, I had two friends that that their family owned ten, and that's what they hunted. Our family best friend, it's ten acres. That's oh, yeah. that's our hunting camp. We hunt there a couple days a year. Yeah. Um Mm-hmm. I get money in Wisconsin, same thing. They have 40 acres and they think they're in hog heaven. Yeah. 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 In Wisconsin, it's probably 40 acres might be more of a hunting. Well, you can't. Than, than if you bought 40 acres out of Oh, yeah. You can't take 20 <laughs> No, it's like 40 acres in Wisconsin is like 400 or 4,000 acres. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a white tailed deer, you know. That's what makes it so great is the diversity of the United States. Yeah. I mean, we have, because I told you before about my kids in Texas. Going down there is totally different. I, I My grandson came to Montana to take Hunter Head because he wanted to go through my Hunter Head course. So he goes, Wait, how long do you have to be here for that? No, you can come in anyway. You can he take it anywhere. It's oh, yeah. No, no, no. How long do you have to be in town to do it? Oh. No, you can take Hunter Head anytime. You can't hunt in Montana because he has to be a resident. But it came up. You were around the weekend class. Yeah, weekend so, class. We changed it all. Yes. Yeah, we yeah. I changed that in about 2010, eight or nine, maybe. We used to do a two-week class, two hours a night. Yep. And I said, I don't have time. I had a busy schedule at that time. 
I said, why can't we just do it on weekends? They said, well, you can. I said, well, hell, let's do it. Okay. So we, we started doing it on Saturday, half a day or two quarters a day on Sunday, and it was done. Okay. So my grandson came up to Texas. He said, I want, Pappy, I want to take your hunter headquarters. He takes my hunter headquarters. He knows how hunting is in Texas. He come up, he goes through all the survival stuff, you know, grizzly bear shit or stuff. And he goes, Pappy, I'm never hunting up here. <laughs> he says, worst thing I have to worry about in Texas is falling asleep and falling out of my stand. He said, when the feeder goes off, I wake up, I shoot a deer. He says, that's all I worry about. And that's perfectly ethical, and that's what Texans enjoy. But, yeah, it's, you know, that, to me, I, I like hearing the stories. Of Pen- I got several buddies that are from Pennsylvania. So, besides your burlap wrap bologna, which is just awesome, I've had that several times. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> no, if you ever get Pennsylvania bologna, it looks like it looks like a, a leg gauze or or burlap that's wrapped their bologna in. The stuff that I saw that came from are you I got a 20 pound, I got my deer meat painted hey. into 20 pound. It looked I, I wish I had a picture. I I might your, uh, this is your bur- Pennsylvania saran wrap is burlap. It is. It's it's a very yeah, coarse wrap. Burlap smoked and hung it in my garage. For when you're eating this, like you got, you're getting like it's like you got pubic hair in your. No, it's like a festering leg sore. It's wrapped in gauze. This stuff is thick. Why well, just imagine the about. fibers stick into the meat? No, oh. it comes right off. It, it's just not. It's not that smooth Oscar Mayer plastic stuff. Okay. This is like we, knobby bologna. It's, I mean, oh, getting your deer processed here is probably completely different. I mean, if I say scrapple, do you three know what I'm talking about? No, okay. I do. Somebody does. I mean, oh, I had yeah, venison yeah. scrapple made before. You know, it's what is it? Guts. Nobody even knows. We'll put it that way. Scrapple's intestines, but it's a product, a meat product you buy at the store. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it can be interpreted as guts. I mean, you know, my father was a butcher, and and you know, he's he eats it. So, I mean, I guess nice. that's kudos to your dad. Okay, we got as the host, I'm obligated to clarify points <laughs> like this. Are we talking about like, is it um, in a canyon, or is it like some in some way? No, it it looks like a block of lard almost in, in some ways. It's 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 a grayish color, a grayish color. Um, you can deep you fry put it, it on sandwiches. Uh, it, it's a breakfast meat. It's a breakfast yeah. meat. It, it's like oh, head cheese. Okay, only or spam. Spam. Thank God they invented spam. But scrapple is more coarse than spam. Okay, and it, yes, it's, yes, yes, yes. Like I said, it, it, it's great stuff. You have to try it at least once. But and I meant spam, right not lard. That's what I meant. But, it, now, but, it's, now but the that, it's like you buy it fresh. It's butcher. You'd have to get through butcher. I don't think they sell it in the stores, do they? Oh yeah, it's everywhere. I, I was just at the store an hour and a half ago, and I was, oh man, it's not on sale. <laughs> you it's know, like, it's like head cheese. <laughs> okay, okay, so, okay, like an aspic. It's yeah. like a block. Did you now one Pennsylvania treat that I used to feed my grandkids because I learned from my Pennsylvania buddy fresh homemade bread, Limburger cheese with a big slice of onion over it. Is that normal? 
it, it's not normal to me, but it's normal to the older relatives of mine. Absolutely. boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is great stuff. That, I mean, is, I have, that is good fixings right there. Yeah, my family is either from the Pittsburgh area or central part of the straight state and wilderness. So yeah, it's not yeah. for it. Nice. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna press that in the topic that I need for a minute. I got a couple more things I want to cover. Jeff, you were telling me that you're on a committee that's revamping Montana's uh hunter safety program. I I I would imagine that there's some sideboards there because it still has to be compatible with all the other states. Right. So what's going on there? Well, I don't know. We're uh We've been volunteers. We volunteered for this board. There's 20 members from across the state. All hundred ed instructors, as far as I know. Most of most of well, a few of them I know. Uh, and what we're tasked in doing is reviewing all the bow hunter education, which in Montana is a separate class, Chris. Bow hunter education is separate from it, we offer it for pay. We offer I, I'm certified for that as well. You have to pay to do it, and there's only a couple in the state. I still haven't even done one. I've been doing it for almost five years. Right. Yeah, we have it. That is a separate one, but we still teach it in the general as well. So what we're tasked with is reviewing the bow hunter education, the hunter education, the policies and seeing what we can do to improve it statewide. So right now, our first meeting is June 6th and 7th in Great Falls. So in the meantime, I've got to take Bow Hunter Ed, Hunter Ed, do the online courses, review all the policies, review the tests, and see where I see the shortcomings in my mind and what we can do to improve it. So right. I'll just be real. No, I'm doing it all. It's all online. So okay. I've got to do all this stuff before June 6th. And before then I, time was Right. Well, a little bit, but yeah, for the most part. Okay. Well, we're going to be taking online version. Right. Is that still an app? Yeah. No, it is. You can take online. It's just the department's not paying for you. Right. Yep, exactly. Same here. And there's actually not. Just when COVID was in. Yeah, yep. There is no cost to the That's what I'm saying. Okay. What's the online class cost? 25 bucks. Yeah, 25. So what you guys have? Yeah, we have we have it too. I think ours is 17 or something. Yeah. And it was yeah. it was waived during COVID, which actually a lot, you know, going to, you know, I went to school with guys who are from Philadelphia, New York, Baltimore, uh, you know, where they're really, you can't go in person as, as easily. And a lot of those people ended up taking the course online when it got waived. So yeah, we, we have yeah. that option. So the online course, I, I took the online course at one point just for giggles. Uh, now I got to do it again to see what the shortcomings were on it. Um, so now I'm looking at it with a different eye because I'm part of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and seeing where we can improve it. I have my own, well, everybody in there has their own personal biases. Mm -hmm. uh, I also did the uh, Master Hunter program in Montana. Uh, which I failed to complete all of it because I got COVID. This is a program that's it's 
it's run by one one Mon one Montana. It's basically a pay to pay, but Fish Wildlife Parks well, adopted this. Okay. So what what happened is you go through this. It's like hunter ed on steroids. It's like uh, one hundred two or two hundred two hunter ed class. It's advanced hunter ed class. You take this class, cost you a lot of money to go through it between uh, the motel rooms, the travel and stuff. They're only held a few places. Then when you go through this training, you get to hunt cow elk hunt on property in the Paradise Valley, which is south of Livingston, Montana, north of Yellowstone Park, to put it in perspective for you, Chris. It's it's highly desirable cow hunting for elk. Okay. Uh, and basically these big uh, ranches will allow you to come and kill the elk if you've had this this uh, master hunter brother. Yeah, but it, basically what they're doing is a pay-to-pay, a pay-to-hunt type thing. They're allowing you to hunt free, but you're you're spending probably a thousand dollars to take this class. Yeah, and then you have to you have to pay a fee no. Yeah, you have to keep certified every year. So I took this class because I was bored at the time when this came out. I go, wow, hell, I'll take this. I took it. And I said, what a crock of shit this is. I mean, I I think the the, the master hunter program is being force-fed into fish, wildlife, and parks. It's a bullshit operation, and I am not in agreement with it. Okay. And I, I tend to mince my words, so in case you don't understand it, I don't like the one Montana or the Master Hunter Program in Montana. That is not what we No, do. no, that's like that. No, I am mincing my words. No. Oh, no, no. You shoot straight, it's No, I am. I'm holding back. He's saying, oh, I'm holding back. Oh, if I said what I really might this is the mild version. Okay. I don't. This, so it's not much different than just paying to just kill it, essentially, well, or having some money. This program is great. I mean, I'm a okay. big supporter of, uh, Wait a minute, listen, of Hunter Ed 102. Okay. Step two. I am a big proponent of, or whatever, an advanced Hunter education program where they teach you how to physically gut animals, how to close fences. Wire fence. I've I've mentored people that don't know how to close a wire gate. Okay, you know that any twelve year old rancher kid knows how to close simple fence repairs. Things that enable hunters to relate to landowners. This is the advanced hunting ed that I think we need. The one Montana or the Master Hunter program. What they're envisioning is this philosophical crap of Conservation, Theodore Roosevelt, just bullshit stuff that I cannot abide by. I couldn't finish the program. After I recovered from COVID, I had the opportunity to finish the program. The instructor that took over the one Montana thing, he says, Jeff, you have an opportunity to do it. I said, you know, the guy that was doing this, I found to be a pretentious son of a bitch, and I can't spend any time in his classes. And I won't partake in any of this anymore. Yeah. Okay. So this hunter fish wildlife parks needs to back a hunter ed 2.0 towards an advanced hunter education that's a that's provided by fish wildlife and parks to show people the techniques, how to track animals, how to identify 
animal track, how to track wounded game, how to care for a downed animal, how to interact with landowners, how to close fences, how to repair gates. Uh, what do I do if I find a bunch of cows running down the highway? How do I do that? Uh, simple, basic chores that any any 12-year-old ranch kid knows, but people from the city, which is different, Chris, from your cities, but our cities in Montana are the same. They don't have any idea yeah. 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 How, to, how to drive animals, how to domestic animals, how to herd domestic animals. Where, like, where would you need to herd domestic animals? There are times like when you come they, out, yeah. you have oh, a broken yeah, fence. Right. You know, if you yeah. come up to a hunter to, to hunt some property and you see a cut fence and here's some cattle out, how do I get those cows to that fence and fix that? No, fence I, yeah. You know, you know how to do it. I know how to do it. Caleb knows how to do it. But a lot of people, well, they don't know they're going to run screaming at the animals. Well, that's not how you hurt domestic animals. You know, yeah. dangle their eyes, prey drive, all this stuff that we could teach during advanced hunter education. The other thing is demonstrate your ability to uh, accurately fire your firearm within a reasonable distance, how to stalk this long-range bullshit. Not a big fan. I mean, I appreciate it. I, I can shoot long-range. I, I hunt with people that can shoot long-range. I, I find think that's part of what frustrates me. That's oh. part of what frustrates me. It's like, you think I can't do that? No, I'm exercising, you know, basic right, respect. Right. Right. I've right. been on hunts where elk were normally killed at 600 yards. I to me, that is not a hunt. To me, it's yep. when I sneak up within a couple hundred yards using the wind, the terrain, and stuff to get close and harvest my game using my techniques, my skills, not so much a technical skill, dialing my scope and shoot them, big deal. I mean, yeah, like you said, that's a video game. I don't appreciate that. It's like waterfowl hunting, which is big in me. If, if I can't get... Uh, a waterfowl within 25, 30 yards, I won't shoot them. I want them in the decoys that I've earned that animal. I've, I've set my hide, my decoys up enough to where the animal is close enough. These types of things that people need to know that kids, that they don't, that they're not being taught. Upland game, how to, how to hunt pheasants, how to hunt sharp tails, how to hunt Hungarian partridge in Montana. That's part of Hunter Ed 2.0, the, the techniques that we could teach as Hunter Ed instructors. That's what I want to promote. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm trying to envision my Hunter Ed 2.0. And I've already sent over a year ago to Fish, Wildlife, Parks. This is what I want to do. I will do a lesson plan. Unfortunately, my life has gotten very busy in the last year and a half or last year. And so I, with, with being the mayor, the commissioner, but thank you. Yeah, what else you being mayor? I don't know. Okay, yeah, you're so, county commissioner. Yeah, as county commissioner. So my life has got busy. I keep volunteering for stuff, and I don't know how to say no. But this is my my goal in life is Wait, to develop. Let's, let's, I have oh, in I'm in the fall. Right. 
As a prerequisite. Voluntary. Voluntary. Like 2.0. 2.0. Whatever. 201. Whatever. Advanced unread. Okay. And I. And I, I no, it's no cost. Okay, no, that's not my question. Unlike the Mont, uh, the Master Hunter program, there's no care. No. It's just. It's doing the right, the right thing, thing. Doing the right thing for everybody. Okay. And available to everybody, to the masses, as opposed to the people who can afford it. I could afford to go through the hundred Master Hunter class at that time when I took a class, but it, it, it left me lacking. And I am the biggest opponent against having that because that is based upon Mr. Baumofter, who used to be a hundred department head from Germany, pushing this master hunter program. It got adopted by all these yuppies over in Bozeman and force-fed the state of Montana to become the Master Hunter Program. But what does it have to do with the state of Montana? It doesn't have anything to do with it. It's a good, the thought process is great, but they put a, a financial price tag on right. it that is out of the reach of most Montanans. Yeah. And most Montanans are great people, and they don't have a whole lot of disposable income, and they're not going to spend $1,000 to learn to hunt better. And the hunters that I know across the state that I interacted with, I said, what about this Master Hunter program? And they said, I looked over it, and it isn't going to give me any useful value to yeah. harvest more game or to be able to be a better hunter. All it does is allow me to access a few pieces of property that you couldn't otherwise access. That you couldn't otherwise access. And access to the apartment, don't you some of these partners you have to pay to stay there in addition? Most of the ones that I saw, they because I didn't meet the guidelines of passing it, mm -hmm. I didn't get the inner circle stuff. Right. But I know that that's a it, the whole thing is is to me as a quasi Montanan, because I've been here 25 years, uh was just severely disabled. I just did not care. Do you, guys, do you guys, next question, do you guys uh, want to give back something that's more broadly, you could have put it uh, on, you know, but I was curious, talk about social construction. And if so, what you message there? We've started to, so the curriculum, you know, they, they kind of, uh, because it's sort of because of some some that's kind of dated, you know, there's reference to going to the McDonald's with your bloody eating clothes on or strapping the deer to the top of your station wagon. Okay. You know, that's it, been part of the like the yeah. that yeah. yeah. So that's so that, you know, in the day was sort of what was given hunters a black eye. And, and so that has sort of carried through in the curriculum. And in recent years, we've been sort of equating that same type of behavior to what you do or don't do on social media, trying to get the kids thinking in that way that, you know, I'm not just covered and, and making, you know, a good uh, representation of hunters 
by changing the clean clothes before I go get my groceries after the hunt, if I'm posting, you know, distasteful um, pictures of the hunt to anybody and everybody. Yeah, more people are going to yeah. see that than going to see you in the grocery store. Yeah, so yeah. exactly. And that's kind of the point that I guess we've been making in recent classes is to start thinking about. Um, and the other thing, too, that we kind of talked about was you go to the grocery store, you know, with bloody clothes or you drive home with the critter strapped to the hood of your car. You may offend how many people, you know, it's the people that saw you on the way home. However, many that means me, but it's finite. Right. You know, it's it's never to be rehashed or to be seen by anybody once it was done. Right. But with social media, that's not going to be there forever. You know, to be, can be and so we kind of have started to have those kind of conversations with the kids. But it's something that could be adopted into the revision of the hunter ed uh, course material that jeff and others will be working on you know there's the core philosophies i don't see changing really you know it's just that but a lot of the way that those kids are relating and perceiving you know the nuances of you know there's references in the bow hunter material that my kid was reading through and he asked me what a payphone was because it's, mm, you know, it was, right, it was telling right, him to carry right. a quarter for the payphone in case of emergency type thing, you know. So it's updating the the original message exactly. to address the new technology. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that in my view that could be polished. You know, even just pictures that kids don't look at and think that that's dated. Right. You know, right. Materials like the the. You could have a game warden um, from today go do the exact same thing for the video that we've been showing for 20 years. But now and, and he doesn't do content-wise. Yeah. Now he's not wearing asses off jeans. Yeah, yeah. Content-wise, it's not really going to change. But, it, but but what does change is the relatability of those kids to that information. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Christopher, social media. You know, social media isn't an official part of the curriculum. I know it's something that I push, you know, especially I told you, you know, I'm working with the archery ones and uh, I can think of two people off the top of my head who will think a hundred yard shot is, is okay. Um, and, you know, saying how that's not, um, you know, I, I it, it's frustrating, you know, it, it's just so frustrating, um, especially with the younger crowd, you know, being a younger guy, I mean, it's like it's a competition to to look like these media guys and, and then post it online. It's it's like you're one of them. Um, I, I think that that's just such a threat. I mean, um, but, you know, relating directly to the curriculum. No, I, I, I it has not been adjusted yet. And, and I believe it needs to be. But um, you'll, you'll you'll with your discretionary. um Lead, like you, you can the parts you can add lead, you'll you yep. yep, and I'm not the only one that does so. Yep, yep. No, it's it. That's one of the things that we get into, and in especially when you're pointing out in Pennsylvania, where you guys use crossbow, 
which I, I assume is part of your archery. Yeah, yeah, cross, yeah. The, I have to include the crossbow. The crossbow is is as equal rights to a compound in right. Pennsylvania now for everybody. Right. Yeah. Then you get those people that post the picture of a deer, hey, 110-yard shot. So out here in Montana, we get the one shot this antelope 760 yards. Yeah. yeah. You know, that encourages, well, I can one-up that to 790. Or oh, yeah. Which, if a person practices, that's that's fine, but it's not hunting. That's mm -hmm. merely target shooting at that range. So that's where we try to, to downplay some of that video stuff that says, do you need to really post your yardage? Yeah. Can't you just post, hey, I shot this nice doe. You know, maybe I shot it 110 yards. Maybe I shot it at 900 yards. Who knows? But mm -hmm. why do you have to put that yardage in? Why do you have to, why do you have to raise the standard up when you post those? Better yet, don't pose them at all. Send it to your friend. Yeah, that's, send it to your that's, friend. A, that's yeah. a very good point. Is I was about to say that I feel like I am in an extreme minority in posting absolutely nothing. I think there's the people, which is the vast majority, who just don't care. And then above that, there's the people who are trying to be an influencer and think they're one of those people. And then there's a select crowd who like take a picture of a knife with blood all over it because they saw somebody do it on a hunting show or they saw somebody try and make an effort. And even then it's like the only reason in my opinion that you're doing that is because they influenced you to do that. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I understand, you know, there is, there is a promotional aspect there. There is in, in, you know, again, coming back to the idea that I preach as an instructor is, is becoming an ambassador, but you know, Maybe the best thing is, is, hey, that guy just got a deer and he didn't even say anything to anybody. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, he shared a couple pictures and, you know, he knew who to show a picture and who not to show a picture to, you know. Um, it it's not a bragging competition. It is an opportunity because it's at a local level. You know, yeah. like there, this little town of 9,000 people I live in, my hunting heroes, like the... I shouldn't even say that because I I, I I wince at the idea that anybody needs a hunting hero to look up to. It just doesn't seem like it doesn't seem necessary. And it seems counterproductive. These people that put themselves out as like hunting uh, gods, but the, yeah. I, I guess the people that I that 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 impress me and that and motivate me to be better. Those four people in this town would never put something online. Yeah, I mean, if and I they are amazing hunters. So yeah. much better than ninety nine percent of the people that are blowing up every freaking deer they shoot. Yeah, I mean, if I had to say some, you know, people in my head that I've known or or have read about or, or well, not really read about necessarily you know, historical figures or. or or people nowadays that I might say, hey, you know, that's somebody I want to be like someday. Half of them don't even know what the heck a phone is, I don't think. Um, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, to oh, me, yeah. like, I am, you know, if you can live a rustic lifestyle nowadays, that's badass, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? I, I mean, I wish I could. You know, I have to be realistic, especially with a young family. Um, you know? But, I mean, it's just badass you know, if I'm picking somebody, that's who I'm going with. I'm, I'm not going with the person who's, 
who's done X, Y, and Z. I mean, you know, for publicity and ultimately for their pocketbook. I mean, whatever. Right? <laughs> That's good for them, but not for me. Yeah. You know? and, and, you know, I'll admit, you know, I, I in some aspects, maybe I'm a little hypocritical because I know who these people are. Um, you know, I follow them to a certain degree. I almost look at that as like, I, you know, to some people, they probably call it fake news. Um, I, I don't know. It's I have to know how they think as well. So I guess that's how I know know about them and know what they do. Um, you know, I, I want to have an opinion on these things and in doing to do so, I have to also kind of keep up with what I might not agree with. No, that in my in this role I've taken on for myself with being like a cultural critic of awning, I too have to hold my nose and yeah and, and look at it a little bit. So I I understand that. Um, man, it's just, it's really kind of interesting that you guys represent this bottleneck that every hunter has to go through, except that they're doing it online, which sucks. Like, I don't like the online thing, you know? You know, I've had parents that, that have called me up over the years, especially recent years since after COVID, and they said, you know... I want my kid to get in hunter ed. And I said, well, you can do it online. They said, no, we want the kid to go through hands-on because we think we they get better instruction. And they do. I've 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 I took a kid out. I wish I could put the video on. But I took a kid out that took an online hunter ed course and I took him out deer hunting. This is your last mentor? So I know. Yeah. Not. Okay. So yeah. Jeff, you mentor a one hunt, one young hunter a year. Is that right? Yeah. Young or old? I okay. Mean, you, a one. new hunter. I try to take a new hunter, whether they're young. You take like them if out. You, if you've never been hunting, I you, take them okay. Out. And you I go like you so you try to take them out hunting for a day, hunting well, or whatever it takes. Okay. One or two days. What do you mean? What it takes for them to get something? Yeah. Okay. Or until they're they're satisfied that they've experienced. Okay. Actual hunting. Okay. So this young kid, he's classic, because he took the hunter ed online course, and he says, and his dad died last year. So his mom asked me, can you take the kid hunting? So of course not. Take the kid out. He didn't have a dad. He's, when I hooked up with him, the kid says, I don't want to shoot anything out of the vehicle. I want to actually hunt. That's that's the only way I hunt. So we're going to walk. We're going to find the animal. And we're going to do it the right way. He's all good. So we get out. We hike the first, first day to take him out. We hike up. And I said, you know, we're not seeing anything. But let's sit still. Let me see if I can call in a coyote. So I call in a coyote. Coyote comes up. Kid shoots him. A couple hundred yards away. Kid makes it. Excellent shot. Kids' physical skills are good. And we start walking over there. Can't find the, the coyote. Didn't run down. He hit it hard. Pieces along where he hit it. Ran down and dropped. He says, we're going to get it. I said, no, I'm not walking down this canyon to get the coyote. You killed that coyote. It's dead. And he goes, well, I'm ready to go. That's what? He says, this country ain't built for a fat kid with flat feet. He says, I can't handle this. That's what he said? Oh, yeah. Kid? He's like, 
Wait, 10, 11? Uh, Maybe 12. 12. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so I said, all right. Because on the way out, I go, what are you, what are you, what are you going to shoot? This well, I'd like to shoot a six point, which would be a 12 point in your country, Chris. He said, but I'll settle for a four point, which would be an eight point in Chris's country. I said, all right, well, we'll see what we can find you. So after we get done walking, I said, what are you shooting now? He said, I'm going to shoot the first deer I see. I'm just wanting to get this over with. I said, all right. So we get back. I said, we're going to have to come back the next day. We couldn't find anything. So the next day, I'm driving with this kid. And I said, uh, it's getting to be dusk. And this is all spot and stock on a big Montana hunt. Chris, in case you don't know it, on these big ranches, you drive until you see something. Then you stop them. You know, you go look through binoculars. You walk until you see animals, and then you sneak up on them. So okay. I tell this kid right at dusk, I said, this is going to be a good spot. This is the time when the deer are moving. He says, well, I want to go home. I said, well, this is when the deer are moving. He says, well, it's kind of like go home. I said, you don't want to hunt anymore? He says, well, I kind of feel like I'm being held hostage. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this kid sounds very entertaining. Oh, yeah. It doesn't sound like a hunter, but he sounds very entertaining. <laughs> I said, well, if you want to go home, we'll go home. I said, you're missing the golden hour. I said, this is when the animal will I'd rather go home than shoot deer. I said, That's fine. I can hear. You're the one that keeps going out a tiny bit. I don't know if it's a proximity thing or what. You don't hear the. You don't hear background noise. No background. It is noise, raining no. like a biatch right now, man. It's pitch black out here. <laughs> pitch black and cold. He's got a lot of quit in him. Yes. Well, okay. Um, this has been a great conversation. I think we're going to wrap this up unless anybody else has any more they want to uh, intimate to um, my massive platform. Any last parting thoughts? I'll go last. You'll go last? Yeah, I want I want to know what other people have to say first. <laughs> well, I think as hunter head instructors, we want to see our heritage continue. I mean, that's my big goal. I'm in the twilight of my life. I'm not going to see you know 20 more hunting seasons. Those are behind me. So I want to have I want to leave a group of hunters behind me that appreciate the value of the animal, appreciate what landowners are giving us by allowing us access, and what the state, in its weird political stuff, is, is giving us through blog management, which Montana has done a wonderful job of it. You know, I want to see this continue on. And I'm going to do whatever it takes, even though I don't always agree with what they're doing. But I want to see this hunting heritage continue with the Montana. I mean, that's that's my goal and nationwide. I mean, I I respect Pennsylvania, Indiana, the goofy ass Texas hunters and hunter feed. I mean, all those people. They all got everybody's got their heritage, their hunting heritage. And it's so important to continue that hunting heritage, whatever it might be. I just want to see it continue. 
Amen, man. Dale, are you with them? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, my kids are getting to the point now where where they're starting to hunt. And, <clears throat> and so it kind of makes me look at things a little bit differently than <clears throat> past classes and past kids that you you work with. And, and then just the times we live in, you know, as far as how this um, activity is seen, you know, and, and sort of you, you have the kind of the range of things from where it's a long heritage passed down, you know, through the family for many generations and, or you have people coming to it brand new, starting kind of something, you know, their, their own story. And I love being part of that. Um, but I, I also feel like these are important times for people that are in leadership roles like hunter ed instructors for kids to be able to have influence um good influence on kids and to kind of show the reality of what um this all looks like beyond what they'll see in a 20-minute episode you know from their favorite hunting influencer which we you know we, we get more and more of that as the years wear on and that's sort of their their image or their understanding and and so you know i i guess i see it just as more and more important all the time not only to try to curb bad behaviors that shut down access but but even just trying to have influence on these hunters to where it's not just a bunch of um, aspiring hunting influencers, the next generation of aspiring hunting influencers that has become the crop that I think, you know, if everybody's like that, I, I think that would end up being potentially distasteful, even among our own hunting community, you know what I mean? I, not to, you know, so, you know, I think there's value in, in diversity for sure, but I, I want it to continue to be about these animals and, and these opportunities and these experiences and that heritage and not to just end up becoming like a game or, or something that is one, you know, and, and that is very outcomes driven, I guess. Yeah. And so, I mean, those are some of the things that I guess I try to pass along. Yeah. And until I think that that, oh, you know, yeah. Like you, right you no, I'm good. Let us know. Uh, you got any any anything else you want us to know? Yeah, I mean, you know, as I, I you know the hunting heritage part, you know, especially as a Pennsylvanian with you know, you know, Pennsylvania, we have the Pennsylvania tuxedo, um, which is a thing for so many years and. You know, I, I think that around here is more of a nostalgic thing. Um, you know, it, I just seen, you know, there's so much hunter pressure where I'm Wait, at. what's a Pennsylvania tuxedo? Oh, you've never heard of that? Is that, that, that the Red Wolves check? Yeah, yeah, the wet Red Wolves. Oh, okay. Or yeah. Mac, they call them, some people Mackinac. call them Mackinac. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Is that, you know, the, is that elite? You can, can you wear that? 
you can't legally wear that without hunter's orange can you uh not for firearm not for yeah, firearm right. okay i have the red flannel and i i, I save that for archery um and, and then late season and then so forth red bear would be proud of you <laughs> i i those aspects have always been really intriguing to me um yeah yeah <laughs> um you know, I've had so many experiences, though, you know, in terms of motivating me from, you know, a couple of years ago, we had to go out. Some circumstances forced us to be on local public land on opening day. And I had my uh, you know, 12, 11-year-old brother, 11 or 12-year-old brother there. And my buddy and I are trying to get him his first year. And we had, you know, all these people are spotted everywhere. Nobody shot a single thing all day. Um, and then we had a herd of probably like 25 deer, which in my particular county is, unless you're on private land, I mean, that's unheard of. Um, so it was like, wow, that's pretty awesome. And they're coming by. And, and at that point, you're not allowed to harvest a, a doe um, on opening day at that point. Um, that's since changed. Um, so, and, you know, they're all clustered together. And I told them, I said, you know, we're going to hold on that, buddy. You know, I don't want anything wrong. I, you know, we're not going to, I don't want to be talking to a game warden on opening day when we accidentally hit a doe. Um, so we let them go down the hill. Was there and a then, buck in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was about a, it was, you know, it was like a one to three ratio. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Now he is, a, he is able to shoot a spike. Um, he can with his current, his current situation. I, I can't. We have the, yeah. So we need at least three. Point. That's, Moving young trophy there in Pennsylvania. <laughs> it's gotten better yeah, since the air restrictions. Jeff is holding his fingers about <laughs> three inches apart. <laughs> but um, you know, they the deer go down the hill after we showed restraint, and then bam, 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 bam. It was one guy. He just shot the shoot. He killed. He got one, and then he killed another. Just left it there. We're just. I mean, I, I told him. I said, we're not getting up right now. This is a safety concern. Um and uh yeah, and we, he just so left this it hunter there. down the hill shot one buck and a shot and hit, hit another deer. He and had to have killed it. another one as well. Yeah, we saw him just dragging the one out. One had to have been a doe. I'm pretty. What's really crazy is the how one. Do you know? How do you know he shot a second deer if he didn't go look? I think that I there we heard a fall in the distance. Okay. That I never saw him go in that direction. What's really crazy okay. is is there may have been one legal buck for an adult in that herd uh with about one to three one to four ratio and that's the one that he let sit so he was dragging out an illegal deer mm. and I, I we have a hotline and i called it right away like something needs to be done and i think you know an opening day situation they're dealing with so much crap to begin with i don't think he got in trouble or anything yeah um, but you know i look at a situation like that and i'm like that is what i want to prevent if i can even hit one person i've done something positive or you know especially you know the archery aspect you know there's a hipster element there you know it's kind of cool to these kids um you know if i can inspire them to be smarter when they're purchasing a bow you know i've been hunting on public land and i kid you not i saw somebody shooting an adult with a one of those like slingshot crossbows like 50 pound slingshot crossbows which here you need a minimum 125 pound draw weight so that's <laughs> 75 pounds below that um, you know, uh, maybe I can help somebody in an area like that as well. 
Um, so those are some motivational factors for me. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, you know, it's something that I'm extremely proud of. You know, when I talk to anybody in the hunting community, I mean, it's the first thing I mention. you know, I'm, I'm extremely proud of it. And, uh, you know, if I'm going to preach being an ambassador, I need to be an ambassador myself. So, hey, Chris, have you ever turned anybody in? Hmm? Well, you just said he turns. I mean, on a regular basis, you've turned friends in for illegal Into hunters. Into for illegal hunters? activity. Oh, for illegal activity, I've been in one situation, and I was talking to this individual who I went to school with in May, and he's just telling me, "Oh, we got deer, we got deer," and then he's like, "We got a fourth doe." Yeah, you know, I mean, who cares? I'm just like, "Do you know who you're talking to right now? Like, <laughs> you crazy?" And that's that's the only personal dilemma I've been in. That's more of an acquaintance than a friend, but uh, still a former, you know, somebody I was around and. Yeah, yeah, that's the only situation I've been in like that. You know, everybody is around me. They know better. You know, yeah. that's just the person I am. Even I, I take it the whole way to fishing and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going out with you if you don't have a license. You know, I I can't risk anything. You know, I five across the country there, Chris. Good job. So trying. Appreciate I'm not perfect, but I, I feel like I can offer some perspective and <laughs> why not? Good job. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I'm you. glad you're out there. I'm glad you do what you do. It's essential. It's underappreciated. And um, I can't tell you how grateful I am. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Chris. Nice meeting you. Nice meeting everybody. Everybody take care.